the ballpark season 2020. Here we go. G'day and welcome back to another exciting episode of In The Ballpark. It is my absolute joy and privilege to first and foremost welcome my incredible team to the show. Please make welcome the umpire that wears sweatbands on his left and right ankles. That's right. And isn't afraid to turn around to one of the angry parent spectators and give their son or daughter a 100-metre penalty. It's Ryan, the unsurprisingly less under-the-pump umpire in Australia, Fryzy Hartwick. Welcome to you, Fries. Serves. Evening. Great to be back on deck for another week. I, I was hoping to keep that a secret about the sweatbands around the ankle, but look, it's out there now, so I've just got to embrace it, I think. Well, Fryzy, it does make sense to have him down there because if you are bouncing the ball in the middle of the ground... If the ball is a little bit wet, you can just wipe the ball nice and easy and throw it up. Look, I, I don't see how it could possibly be criticised. Do you? I mean, I think it just it just makes perfect sense. Well, I, I honestly think, Fryzy, you are a trailblazer when it comes to fashion sense. And I know a lot of guys yeah. at the moment and a lot of ladies out there are wearing a lot of uh, those ankle socks. So you can see the ankles. But, mate, you're a step ahead of that. You've got your ankles showing and you've got the ankle-sized... Sweatbands. I mean, you are ahead of the curve. Oh, sir, what what can I say in the uh, in the true sense of in the ballpark? I had a crack, and uh, it's um, it's very unique. But uh, look, anyhow, as I said, it's out there now, so we um, we may as well just run with it. <laughs> Let's get into the other guest because he's getting cold in the other room. He is the statistician who knows how many actual saints are tattooed onto Dean Kent, Tim Membry, and Maddie Parker from the St Kilda Football Club, and how many prime-time blockbuster slots the Gold Coast Suns have received. Is it just this Thursday night? <laughs> it's the one. Correct the mundo. Correct the mundo. It's Maxi Sunshine's out of his arsenal of statistics. Tonner, Maxi, welcome to you, mate. Thanks for having me, sir. It is an absolute joy and privilege to have you here. Now, listen, gents, I've been thinking really hard about this, and I think... It's about time I stop writing my own introductions and bring in a little right. different factor from my very, very brief football career. This is a segment called My Footy Memory. Footy, footy memory, memory. And this week I'm going to start off at the home of Pegs football, which is, of course, the Keelor Park Oval. Now, Maxie, before we start, tell me a little bit about this venue because you guys have played a bit of footy there. I can tell you is every time I've played there, it is very, very windy and it tends to get locked in one small pocket of the ground. And if you're playing on the wing or a half-forward flank on the other side of the ground, you have very little chance of getting the ball. <laughs> yep, once that ball's in the air, you've got no idea where it's going. It's absolutely shocking. And not to mention, it is very, very close to Melbourne's own Melbourne Airport. So there are planes that fly by and they feel like only honestly about three or 400 metres above you. So mm. you have a player on your side that could quite possibly go into the American punting industry, then you'd fancy him to kick it into one of those planes. Good back, Pat McAfee. 
He was a punter. That could be would be a solid chance of doing that. <laughs> and in a ballpark favourite. It only took me about 22 goes at the start of the season to get his name right, but we got there. So, gents, let me take you to about year 10. So, most likely around 2012, 2013 for me. I was playing in the Pegs B team. So, look, we weren't too bad. We had a decent start to the season. As you guys mentioned at the top, very, very windy day, as always. Windy as hell at Keelor Park. And Pegs were playing our biggest rival, which was Trinity. And Trinity kicked the first three goals of the game. And it was within about the first 15 minutes of the quarter. And I was playing on the half-back line. And my direct opponent, he ended up kicking two goals on me. I felt a little bit dirty. I felt like I needed to pay back. (laughs) Our backs were against the walls. We didn't score in that quarter. And... We went into the quarter time huddle and we were feeling pretty flat. What I thought I would do was try and have a direct influence on the game. Start sneaking further and further up the ground when there were stoppages on our side of the ground. We started winning a lot more ball in the second half. And I was playing at half-back and I thought to myself, let's move up the ground a little more. So, things started to change. The momentum started to switch. We started kicking toward the end of the ground where the wind was carrying the ball. And eventually, I sneak through the forward 50 line and I get two cheap goals. Winning, winning, winning. I've squared my ledger with my opposition player. Now I need to square the ledger of the game. Get it done. Three or four minutes left in the game. An absolute thriller at the Keelor Park Plains. The Penley and Essendon Grammar School boys B team are one goal down. Less than a minute to play. Stoppage, forward of center for our team. An errant handball comes out my way. I steal the ball and evade three opposition players. I'm running with the pill. One bounce, two bounces, three bounces. I throw the ball onto my boot as hard as I can. The ball flies up, up, up into the wind. Through a plane's turbine-like syndrome from the Incredibles. (laughs) The ball has flown 75 meters past all the defenders. When the ball hits the ground, it goes at right angles. The Trinity defenders try to chase the ball, but guess what? It goes through for a goal. Scores are level. (laughs) Scores are level. There's two minutes to play. Okay. The coach, he gives me the look. He's on the bench and he goes, Mike, you're going up forward. It's my chance, gentlemen. I've kicked our only three goals for the game and I am, I'm excited. I'm yelling. My parents are pumping the car horn. They are so excited. I'm pumped. We win the clearance. I lose my direct opponent in the forward line. I have got a clear lead. I've got about 10 metres in the clear to lead into. I practically have a paddock. Instead, one of our arrogant teammates, he grabs the ball himself. He takes a couple of bounces. I'm screaming for the ball. I'm free. He goes himself from 40 metres out. Is he the hero? No. No, he's not. 
The ball goes straight up into the wind and it goes out of bounds on the full. And guess what happens next, gents? They go up the other end and kick it up. Surprisingly not. <laughs> it's going to be a draw. It's unbelievable. But it's happened. <laughs> This particular player, he took my Robbie Gray, Tom Hawkins, Ash McGrath, Justin Longmuir, and dare I say it, but probably more accurate from a talent standpoint, Carmichael Hunt moment away from me. He took it away from me, gents. And that is... Footy memory for this week, lads. Yeah, it was excellent. Give him a spray, sir. I gave him a fair spray. I gave him a fair spray. Usually I brought lollies to the games. He did not have any after the game. I was absolutely filthy with him. That's what you get when you burn your full forward. It sounds like you've moved on, mate. You haven't thought about it once. So. I've yeah, I'm bought- glad. Haunts me every day. <laughs> so for all those listeners out there, if you liked Footy Memories, we are going to keep doing that each week. I've got a billion stories to tell you from my high school days and my junior school days of playing local footy. If you have any suggestions or even some of your own stories, go to our Facebook page and make sure you comment on our post. Because, gents, as you know, some of the best stories comes from the local footy leagues. That's for sure, Serbs. That's incredible. Look, I've got no doubt you would have at least scored and this, this bloke puts it out on the full. Yeah, can't, can't excuse that. That's poor. Let's talk about one of the biggest developments in the AFL world right now. We have just been handed by our In The Ballpark intern a copy of the brand new four-week fixture block. And gee whiz, we have some serious footy binges on our hands. It's the big bash cricket equivalent for the AFL, a broadcaster's dream scenario Full weeks worth of footy every night. There will be 20 straight days of footy, which equates to 33 matches being jammed in from round 9 to round 12. Doubleheaders will occur on the Wednesday night of round 10, Thursday nights in round 9 and 10, and Monday night of round 11. GWS and Sydney will head to Perth for a block of matches after Collingwood and Geelong return after round 9. Within this condensed fixture, North Melbourne will be scheduled to play in Hobart's in rounds 11 and 12. It is fantastic to see Tasmania featured in this new block of games. At first glance, guys, what do we think of the fixture? So do you think that they're eventually going to set up a hub within Tasmania? Because it's sort of interesting to me that they're just sending North Melbourne there to play. Yeah, Maxie, it's a really good point that you raise. I think the main issue around Tasmania setting up a hub is it still hasn't been checked off by the Tasmanian government. It is a part reason why the fixture has taken so long to be released because they have been waiting on the Tasmanian government to clarify what kind of safety regulations they have in place for clubs coming and going to Tasmania. It does sound like North Melbourne and whatever opposition they play will be flying in and out of the states that they're based in. But I do agree with you. I think it would be easier for the teams coming into Tasmania to actually stay in a hub there. It means they can acclimatise to the conditions. It does sound like North Melbourne and the oppositions that they will be playing in Tasmania will be flying in and out of their states that they are based in. Just to put things into perspective, if they don't set up a hub in Tasmania, it means that those Victorian-based clubs that are set up in Queensland are going to have to fly to Tasmania, and it's about a three-hour flight from Hobart to Noosa. To make a comparison, St Kilda played Adelaide on Monday night. It was a two-hour and 20-minute flight from Noosa to Adelaide. Now, there are no hubs set up for Victorian clubs in South Australia, but St Kilda have two games scheduled in South Australia, including the one that was on Monday night. So 
Essentially, St Kilda are doing a similar thing that may happen in Hobart. St Kilda have to fly in and out of Adelaide, but they cannot stay in Adelaide. But two of their games are in Adelaide, so they just have to make the sacrifice. Well, uh, I, I mean, champion data here, just based on their, their rankings of difficulty, have told us, men, that uh, some of the teams with apparently the easiest little patch here include Fremantle, Sydney Swans, the Crows, Port Adelaide, the Brisbane Lions. There's a real interstate theme here i'm sensing possibly just to do with the venues more than anything but on the other hand it seems that others probably teams that we might have had in calculations for final spots like west coast and possibly even gold coast the way they're going yes and then they look like they've they're the ones that have been hit the hardest wow 33 games in 20 days so it's going to be interesting to see how many days break each team has and if that's if they are on a level playing field with all the opponents and It'd be interesting to see whether some teams sort of mount up on injuries, especially the key players, like you've seen with some teams over the weekend. And the depth of every list is really going to be tested out. Just looking at the top eight, who do you guys think are the most in danger? Who do you think won't be there come finals time? Because the way I look at it, I think the top five are locks. So you've got Port Adelaide, Brisbane, Collingwood, Richmond and Geelong. And then I also think West Coast, given their um, the run that they're going to have in Perth, I think they're also a lock. So the only two that I can see who are at, at risk at all will be St Kilda and the Gold Coast Suns. Yep. And outside the top eight, I think the Western Bulldogs are definitely um, going to be playing finals come um, finals times. And then there's... Essendon and GWS, who I'm sort of unsure whether they'll be there come finals time. So how many teams do you think are already in the eight that'll be locked in the eight come finals time? Richmond look like they've got their game together now. They will get Basher Hawley and Shane Edwards back. Looks like Tom Lynch has been able to play through this period of time where he has had his injury. So there's some good signs there from Richmond and they've got plenty of games into their young stars who, again, Richmond are a very system-based team. So a lot of those players are coming in and playing their roles. So I feel like they will probably stay around the fourth mark, but they could easily rise up the ladder. Carlton might be a bit of a dark horse. They could potentially make a bit of a run for it. They have been in decent form of weight. Melbourne are looking good as well, but I just don't trust their consistency. So the big question is, I reckon, is... GWS, they are one of the teams that we are going to discuss in our considerable winners and mammoth losers. But, gee, wouldn't that be a massive loss for them after a grand final appearance if they couldn't get back into the eight fries? Yes, most definitely. Look, it's uh, it's still very much open, but I, I sort of... I definitely get where you're coming from there, Max, in the sense that out of St Kilda and Gold Coast, I'm probably not sure that both of those two will, will sneak in, but probably one at this stage. I don't even want to put the lock on Geelong necessarily but look let's be honest i think we all know they're going to do enough even just through their experience to make it think there's a lot to like about the bulldogs i'd be surprised if they don't finish up in there i reckon a month from now we'll have a very good idea are we pretty confident that port adelaide will finish on top of the ladder come season's end whether or not they're top of the ladder i'm not sure but i think um sitting on what six wins from seven and i'll talk about them soon but I think they're a lock for top four, considering they're going to have a run of games in Adelaide. I think the amount of games you'll need to lock in a final space will be nine. So they're three away from that. Yep. And there's, what, 10 games left? I think they'll definitely be top four. Whether or not they can finish on top of that ladder, I'm not too sure. But they'll definitely be top four for mine. And gentlemen, we promise not to talk about it anymore, but 
the grand final. If Port Adelaide finish on top of the ladder, might just mean that they could secure their first grand final in South Australia. Gee, that would be a very, very good reason to win all those games that they have at home. I'd love to see it. I was watching the St Kilda Adelaide game. The Adelaide fans, they were going pretty wild themselves and considering that Adelaide haven't won a game and they're last on the ladder. I'd love to yeah. see what the Port Adelaide fans are going to be like after being locked out of the footy for, for months on end. But yeah, I'd love to see that. You've got to say probably on grand final day, I don't know how many tickets the AFL would allocate to the other club, whoever makes it, but You've got to think at least 40,000 of those would be Port Adelaide fans going wild, and I'd love to see it. Yep, and if you're a fan of whoever the opponent is, yeah, you'd be very brave to even <laughs> present yourself inside the stadium there, wouldn't you? You'd want to have some form of camouflage, that is for sure. And let me tell you, they would get the anthem going, of course, never tear us apart. They would have all the scarves holding them above their heads. Koshi will be dancing around the stands, and it'll be a great spectacle to see it. at any time to do the air saxophone on game day. <laughs> that is very well done, sir. Well, speaking of Port Adelaide, let's get to the considerable winners. Winning. Winning. Because Port Adelaide pulled off one of the great victories over the weekend. It looked like they were going to burn all their chances at the very, very last stages of the final quarter. One man stood up when it really, really counted. Maxie, you're going to have a closer look at this game and your considerable winner is? Well, it's obviously Port Adelaide. They beat Carlton just with Robbie Gray here, an incredible goal after the sign. And when everyone else missed, when the moment came, he seized it like no one else. Robbie Great! In the wrong pocket from about 45 metres out, it was a very tough kick for a right footer. But as you said, sir, they had about three or four opportunities in the last probably five or so minutes. I was watching the game just thinking... Carlton are going to find a way to lose this game somehow. And with every opportunity that Port Adelaide kept missing, I think Charlie Dixon, you know, I'll talk about in a bit, but he took a big grab, probably 10, 15 metres straight in front. And you just tell that him going back, he already looked exhausted. And then I think he came off with a blood rule and he looked pretty, <laughs> he looked all over the shot. But he, you could just tell as soon as he marked that ball that he was going to miss it. What looked like the golden opportunity was... Um, when Robbie Gray pretty unselfishly handed the ball off to Todd Marshall and somehow he's missed from the top of the goal square. So you just think, oh, maybe Carton are going to find a way to win it. But then Sam Mays laces out Robbie Gray on the league and you just thought Robbie Gray's missed one as well, probably five minutes earlier from a sort of similar spot. It was probably 10 metres in from the boundary, but um, you just nailed it. Port Adelaide, I sort of picked them as my considerable winner. Winning! Because just from the perspective that they've only played one game at Adelaide Oval, so they've been in a hub for most of the... Um, season so far and they've come away six and one you've got to think in the next however many weeks they're going to have a stretch of games coming at Adelaide Oval playing teams that are pretty tired from being on the road and they're going to be back at home six and one and as I said before in the next couple of weeks I think they'll shore up a final spot and then everything after that's gravy and they should be cementing their top four spot as I said Charlie Dixon looks like in career best form he's had a lot of injuries over the time and looks pretty good physical condition at the moment Charlie's just got to fix up his goal kicking he had I think kicked three goals four on the weekend it was also interesting in the first half they played Charlie Dixon and Todd Marshall fairly close together and they're sort of flying for a lot of balls together and they sort of spoiled each other but they played Todd Marshall further up the ground in the second half and he's actually a really good kick for his size but I think they need to separate those two a bit more and um, get Todd Marshall further up the ground and they've also found another 
good young midfielder. So we, we always talk about Rosie, Dersma and Butters, but they've also found a really good new midfielder in Kane Farrell, who's got a lethal left foot. And in the past two weeks, Port Adelaide have exposed opposition teams who have no idea about this bloke and he's kicked goals from 55, 60 metres out. They've also got Laddams, who had 21 disposals. He's a ruckman that had the most disposals on the ground. <laughs> And it just as a backup, replacing Scott Lysette. So I'm starting to be more and more impressed with Port Adelaide. At the start of the year, I was just, I'm always wary with Port Adelaide. They start years off really well and they f- tend to fall away come the back half of the year. So I'm still a little bit wary. But as I said earlier, I, I can't see them not making the top four from a six and one position. And considering in this year that they're going to have a real stretch of games at Adelaide Oval, I think they should be top four. Completely agree with you there, Maxie. And I've got to say, Charlie Dixon would have to be one of the most physically intimidating players in the competition right now. If you are any club defender other than Port Adelaide, even Port Adelaide defenders at training, I reckon, would be very, very scared coming up against him. He just looks hungry. He just looks like an absolute beast that wants the footy in his hands. Maybe bar those last couple of minutes. But bear in mind, probably the reason why he was so fatigued, Maxie, was that he had about three or four contests in a row. It just kept going into the forward 50. But... Yeah, gee, what a player and looks like a completely different player to what he was in the very first season at the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah, we always had that potential, but he's just sort of been played. I'd like to, I haven't looked this up, but I'd like to see how many games he's played per season at Port Adelaide. I don't think he would have played many seasons of over 20 games. And he won't this year, considering that's only 17 game season. But it just looks like he's in the best physical shape that he's been in a long time. And it's you can see it's coming out into his footy at the moment. You mentioned... Going back to South Australia, it's a very, very big advantage for them. Frizy, let's get to your considerable winner. Winning! And they came up against another team that was very much under the pump. They were your mammoth loser last week. Frizy, take us through the team that you've selected for your considerable winner. Yes, certainly, Seb. So Melbourne for me this week... Despite Hawthorne making them sort of look a million dollars, that that was an important win, and they did it um, in a very very strong fashion. They brought in young Sam Wiedemann, and I suppose with his game, you'd like that. That's more of the impact that he probably needs to have. And alongside that, we're hearing a lot again about Christian Petrarca. There was a bit just in the paper comparing him to Dustin Martin, not necessarily saying um, like for like, but very similar types with some similar. Strengths. Not sure about Melbourne actually sneaking into the eight. I mean, they, they obviously um, still could. Remember that they are a game short, just like Essendon, for that missed one. So they're three and three. Probably have to take something unexpected, though, to actually finish in the eight. But it's taken them probably a little bit longer to get things rolling than they might have hoped. But yeah, that was that was a good win. It was It was an important one for them, I think. It seems like they've made better decisions at the selection table, Fryce. They haven't rushed Harley Bernal back, but it looks like he's a lot more comfortable in his role and he's been setting up a lot of play and had a lot of goal assists over the weekend. And also, Fryce, they found another young gun in Cozzy Pickett. He did a lovely little step around, sold some candy and set up more play over the weekend. So it looks like they're just starting to get their balance right with their 22 and also up forward, as you mentioned, with Wiedemann coming back in. They're looking a lot more strong up there and they have the players making good contests, but also they have the ground ball players as well. So it looks like they've finally got their selections right. They're certainly playing a lot 
better than what they were at the start of the season. The, yeah, the challenge is there for them. There's no reason why they can't, but they've probably got to win, what, say, six out of their last ten or so. As you mentioned, sir, they um, they look a lot more dangerous with those two up front in Wiedemann and McDonald. That's a duo that opposition backlines won't fancy trying to lock them down. So they certainly look very sharp on the weekend. Yes, a very good win on the weekend, that is for sure, Frizy. But let's save our judgment on Melbourne for Sunday when they play the Brisbane Lions, a top four team. Let's see how good they really are. Now, Maxie, you're a man who knows your stats. You're a man who knows the market for the Brownlow very, very well. What are the chances that Christian Petrarca can run away with this year's Brownlow? From memory, I think he's coming close behind Lockie Neal, who's the current favourite. He'll pull a lot of votes in games that Melbourne do win. The only thing I'm thinking is he might go head-to-head with Max Gorn and might steal votes off each other. And isn't it perfect timing as well, Maxie, that both these players will line up against each other this weekend? Yeah, I'd still personally have um, Lockie Neal as my favourite, but Petrarca's definitely come a long way this year. I think he's definitely in career-best form. And if Melbourne continue winning, then you never know. But I've still got my money on Lockie Neal. Yeah, with Christian Petrarca well in contention for the Brownlow, it does make me look back at the 2014 AFL draft because, as you guys are aware, Christian Petrarca went second in that draft. Many times he was touted as the number one pick by a lot of experts. And the man who went number one, the first selection in that draft was Paddy McCartan. And if you guys did just a quick comparison, we know Paddy McCartan has been unlucky and we do know that key forwards don't grow on trees. But gee, at this stage right now, you'd have to say Melbourne won that draft. I think they also had Brayshaw at big three. I think St Kilda's main rationale behind going with McCartan is they didn't have a younger key forward at the time. From memory, I don't think Tim Membry, Josh Bruce was there as well. They wanted their full forward for the next 10 to 15 years. I think the Saints have got a pretty decent midfield already, so I don't think it's too big of a loss. But Monday morning quarterbacking, you definitely go up a trucker now. Let's start with you, Maxi, because you have identified a club who has lost their last five matches in a row. And on the weekend, they had a Saturday night slot, which would have favoured them looking at this in earlier weeks. But unfortunately, they've stumbled and stumbled pretty badly, Maxi. Uh, no good for North Melbourne on the weekend and the kicking. Uh, 23 points. They've had a bit of trouble going forward, and I think that's sort of contributing to the Ben Brown's form slump at the moment. And now, well, as you said, they've lost the last five in a row and are now 17th. They play Carlton this week. I'll definitely be tipping Carlton in that one, which is at the Gabba. Carlton played pretty well on the Gabba, so they're familiar with the ground. I just want to open up discussion to you, lads. Where do you think um, North Melbourne are with their list? I think most of their better players are sort of ageing with Zeeble, Cunnington, Goldstein, Higgins and Tarrant. They had the opportunity to trade away Higgins and Goldstein last year. From memory, it was Geelong who had a bit of interest. And I don't really see them having big crop of elite talent. My view, the only players that I would say are elite in the sort of under 22s are Jai Simkin. And that's about it. So, yeah, where do you guys sort of see North Melbourne's list at the moment? Yeah, that's that's a pretty alarming point, that last one there. Yeah, I don't think this list is the one that's going to take them to their next flag or at least their next strong tilt at a flag. So I think they've got to have a good think because probably aren't ready to launch yet in the next season or two. I don't think that's an option. So perhaps a little bit like we, we mentioned last week about Hawthorne, you, you do reach a point where I think you can see that, yep, we've 
got to do a little bit of drafting first. Yeah, my issue with them is they've been in no man's land for a long time and they haven't reached... Well, they had a few prelim finals, but even those were 2014 and 15. So that's a while back yeah. looking at it now. And just like Hawthorne, without the success, but they haven't had access to elite talent in the draft, mm-hmm. which I think by default has left them to this point where now they haven't had the access and they've sort of tried to maintain in that middle part of the ladder and now they're 17th. And whether or not they can afford as a club to go down the rebuild phase financially, which I think is a bit of a worry why they haven't committed to going down a full rebuild in the past. Having lost their last five games in a row, I think the reshore honeymoon period's over. There's an article that I've found on ESPN during the week and it details the 33 players North have missed out on since 2013. Some of the names on this list, Eddie Betts, Rory Sloan, Sam Doherty, Adam Trelaw, Kale Hooker, David Zaharakis, maybe not the biggest miss there, David Mundy, David Swallow. Of course, Josh Kelly was a big one that they were really fishing for. Luke Bruce, Jack Gunston, Travis Boak. Dustin Martin was another very, very big one that they missed out on. Mm. So they've missed out on some very, very good players in that list. Players in that list that I mentioned, some went on to win Brownlows, others have went on to win club best and fairest. These sorts of players could have definitely got them up the ladder. They're just not a destination club. And as you mentioned, Maxi, very, very aging list, the fourth oldest list in the AFL. Wow. Frizy, let's get to your mammoth loser for round seven. And Frizy, who is on your list? Who is under your microscope for this round? Gone for the Giants. Danger signs now for GWS there. As we said a moment ago, going from one grand final to missing the eight. Uh, 12 months later regardless is a scary thought and doesn't happen to teams too often so things just haven't really worked out for them this season whether they've they haven't quite had their their best side available that often so that that always seems to be an issue with the with the Giants as um seems like the the talent they've got sitting on the bench is as much if not greater than the ones out there they're keeping very competitive and you know what you're going to get each week they're a difficult team to beat, but um, yeah, it's it's a little bit concerning. I think where their situation sits now. The grand final replay as well, Frozzy. What a big stage to prove themselves on. It's going to be massive, and thankfully, it's not at the MCG. If you're a Giant supporter, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's season on the line for them, Fries. It is, yeah. If the Giants can get it and go to four and four, well, it's uh, it's not all doom and gloom just yet. But boy, boy, do they need to win this. One of our favourite segments is back for another week. By popular demand, we are here again with Bring It Back, Give It The Sack, Have A Crack. My back and my crack. Bring it back. This week, I want to bring back the halftime oranges, gentlemen. During the COVID-19 period of time, one of the best ways to keep a strong immune system is by eating plenty of food that contains vitamin C. Oranges are a great choice of snack at halftime as they provide easily digestible carbohydrates, water, and vitamin C. They give players that all-important energy boost they need for the second half. Rumors as well, that stickiness that you get from the oranges, all that orange juice around your hand. It allows that ball to stick in your mitts a lot easier. Do we like them? Should they be in the AFL this week? Bring him back, I reckon, mate. You don't see him often in the AFL these days. You see, I think we saw a few years ago, Essendon had the pretzels at halftime. So, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I reckon we bring back the oranges as well. 
Yeah, this is as simple as bringing back as as well for mine. Not sure why they were ever done away with to begin with. I, I don't see any downside. Ozzy, we are going to blame the South Australians on this one. Apparently, South Australian sporting clubs banned the fruit over fears that high levels of acid were bad for children's teeth. So do you think that's a little bit of an outcry? Goodness, is that really the... While I believe you, I think that's that's just outrageous, isn't it? Wouldn't it be weird going into like, do that. a grocery store and going <laughs> there? It'd be the weirdest thing ever, but... Gosh, they, they probably blame bananas for taking out their eyes as well. And if they're going by that rationale, pineapples would be off the shelf as well, you'd reckon? Seems pretty strange that they would ban specifically just for sporting events, if that's the case, where they're probably selling packets of chips and other things full of sugar at the canteen after the game anyway, and they're banning oranges, which is a bit strange. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of jagged shaped fruits or even watermelons if you drop them from a decent height are going to hurt someone but come on south australia <laughs> healthy for you they gotta live we gotta get these back asap Koshi, mate. give it the sack the gold coast suns guernsey from the weekend there has been a lot of uh, interest in the gold coast gold suns Gents, it looked like a training Guernsey. What the hell are they doing, the Gold Coast Suns? Just to give you a little bit of context against the Sydney Swans, they wore a blue Guernsey with the Gold Coast Sun logo in the middle. White shorts, red, white and yellow socks, which actually didn't look too bad. But, gents, it's made me think about some of the worst Guernseys that we've seen in our game. Let's go through the list because, gee whiz, gents, there are some terrible ones. But before we do, what were our thoughts? It was pretty horrible. I wasn't a fan of it considering that Gold Coast, I think, as you said before the podcast, they've only got a very tiny amount of blue in their logo, in their Gold Coast Suns logo, and somehow they've turned that into a full kit, a full blue kit, which um, hopefully they only wear that against the Sydney Swans, but... Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. It sort of reminded me of the blue one that Carlton used to wear back in the day. <laughs> I think it looks like they've just gone straight from their, their pre-game warm-up onto the ground and forgotten to change, I think. I'm glad that Geelong did not wear those Guernseys that they used to have during the NAB preseason matches. They used to have these three-quarter sleeve jumpers. Oh, yeah, weren't, weren't they awful? They were shocking. Like, gosh, it just it really baffles me. Gents, let's have a look at the list because let's start with the Kangaroos. Obviously, the Kangaroos are mammoth losers this week. But they were losers back in the day where they needed some sponsorship. So they went to Orange Mobile. Good old Orange. We know them very, very well at Essendon Land. And we're trying to promote oranges on the show at the moment from our Bring It Back segment. But this was a one-off orange and white Guernsey to promote their sponsors. So instead of the blue, they replaced it for orange and they had the orange kangaroo on there as well. Gents, what the hell were they thinking? They were thinking money, but <laughs> yep. from a design, design point, it looked horrible. Money talks, certainly evident here. Let's have a look at the next one as well, guys, because the West Coast Eagles, we spoke about them prior to the show about the fact that they've had some really ordinary looking jumpers in the past. But from 2000 all the way to 2002, it looked like someone had spilt Paddle Pop Rainbow ice cream on their Guernsey. This abomination of a Guernsey clearly did not help their chances during those years because they finished 13th, 14th, and then just managed to scrape into the eight. This was an absolutely disgusting one with a fluorescent number on the back. Gents, surely someone was on acid when they made this. Uh, this is yeah, probably my think... least favourite jumper. But West Coast used to have sort of the eagle that came across from the rib cage across to the front. 
with the navy blue and the navy blue, white and yellow. I, I don't like that one either. I think West Coast have got a really good jumper that they wear now. So I don't know why they did all that experimenting with all these strange jumpers, but I think this is definitely the worst of them. Thankfully, they, they eventually gave this one the sack because um, they probably should have never bought it in to begin with, sir. Let's go to the Hawthorne Football Club because they were up against the GWS Giants one night and they thought they would take the piss a little bit and go into their clash with a Power Ranger-like Guernsey. Now, gents, I know the Western Bulldogs did this very well with their Marvel Guernsey when Marvel Stadium became Marvel Stadium, but what the hell were the Hawks thinking here? I don't know. They've had a few strange ones, the Hawks. I remember... They also had that camo sort of um, away Guernsey as well, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to defend this one. <laughs> they wore it for a couple of seasons from memory as well. It wasn't a one-time thing. I think the common theme must be money with all of them. And if it's not for sponsors or for causes, it's to um, try and sell a few more each year on the hope that certain people will, will buy them. There are obviously people out there that are paying for them. So, yeah, another one to, uh, to add to the book, I think, here. Talking about doing something for a good cause. The next jumper had all the right intentions. But gentlemen, if you're dehydrated, you go for a quick twinkle. And the color that you see is a yellow color. It's probably not the best thing. So why in the world would you choose a urine-colored Guernsey, especially when your traditional colours are a simple navy blue. Talking about the Carlton Livestrong one? Yes, we are. We're talking about Carlton's Guernsey back in 2009 against the Frio Dockers. They rocked up with a bright yellow outfit, pretty much the exact opposite of their jumper. Maxie, what is going on here? It looks pretty terrible, mate, but I think we were discussing before the podcast it was in association with the Livestrong Foundation, which obviously does work for cancer, so... It was for a good cause, but it, I wasn't a big fan of the look. It's the cause you've got to remember, but um, as soon as they, they tap into some sort of yellow alternative, it never quite seems to work. Especially when your colour inspiration is from a dehydrated person going to the urinal. Have a crack for this round, gentlemen. We heard that there will be games in Tasmania. They are expected to host North Melbourne in round 11 and in round 12. No matches up in the Northern Territory, but my suggestion is to you chaps and to the AFL is that a Tasmanian side and a Northern Territory side, the best players from Tasmania and Northern Territory should have their own sides respectively. And in between those times where some of the players aren't getting to play scratch matches, they should have some scratch matches so we can see the emerging talent from Tasmania and the Northern Territory states. It'd be a good advertisement for their states. It would certainly strengthen their bid to get their own teams in the AFL. And gosh, guys, wouldn't it be great to see a Tasmanian and a Northern Territory side? But this might be maybe one of their best opportunities to really push their case forward. I'd like to see, especially considering that there's no VFL going on at the moment so the sides are playing scratch matches and you sort of see some of the vision and some of them are 10 on 10s 11 on 11s or 12 on 12s and they're not that appealing to watch but I suppose the AFL have been pretty rigorous and all of this COVID stuff so they'd probably have to test all these blokes who aren't playing AFL and have got real jobs or whether or not we're talking about maybe an under 18 team I mean I'd like to see it whether or not you can the logistics can play out within the conditions that we're under at the moment I'm not sure but yeah I'd love to see it 
Yep, not sure if we'll, we'll see it in the in the short term, but yeah, definitely. Look, it's a it's always a great suggestion and one that you wish would get a little bit more airtime. You're talking about true football heartlands there. That um, it's their it's their number one sport. You don't have to doubt the uh, the enthusiasm that these people have for it. So maybe one day, guys, that's a that is a definite have a crack. It is a good suggestion. I would love to see these two states represented in the AFL because, after all, gentlemen, it is the Australian Football League, and we're not. Coming Covering those two states. That was bring it back, give it the sack, have a crack for round seven. Gents, let's get to our final thoughts and games we're excited about for round eight. Uh, the one I'm looking most forward to is Port Adelaide versus St Kilda. So this is first versus sixth at Adelaide Oval on Saturday night at 7.40. Port Adelaide playing in front of fans at Adelaide Oval. So as I said earlier in the podcast, the Adelaide fans were up and about against St Kilda and <laughs> they're winless and yeah, they're playing pretty poorly. So I can't wait to see how many Port Adelaide fans come out and it should be a good game on been pretty impressed with St Kilda, whether or not they're good enough to go head-to-head with Port at the moment. It's going to be an interesting game, so looking forward to it. Rosie, a couple of seasons ago, Chad Wingard took an absolute hanger against St Kilda in a Port Adelaide jumper. Wingard! Oh, baby! There's your mark of the year! Maxie, who are you going to tip to take an absolute screamer against St Kilda this round for Port Adelaide? I was going to say Seth Motlop, but I'm not sure whether he's playing or not. So I might go with Charlie Dixon now, out of the goal square. There you go. Charlie Dixon, high higher than any player on the ground and take an absolute screamer. And for Izzy, what game are you most looking forward to for this round? Yeah, there's a few boys out there. Funnily enough, the last two grand finals, uh, 2019 and 2018, we're seeing rematches of both of those. It's the 2018 one, of course. What a cracking grand final that was, as we remember. Five points was all that was in it. West Coast and Collingwood, that's the one for mine. That's probably a must-win for the Eagles and may very well just about be for Collingwood too. Look, both got important wins last week, ones that you'd probably argue they were expected to. And they're also two teams that we very much would expect to see um, come finals time. So definitely got, got my eyes on this one, I think. The game I'm most excited about this round. Maxi, your wish finally came true Gold Coast have been playing well this season and finally they get a prime time blockbuster slot and they're up against the Western Bulldogs. How exciting is that? Both clubs travelling very, very nicely, might I add. This is a really great opportunity for some of the Gold Coast Suns' young guns to really rise, pardon the pun, and be a part of a massive win on a Thursday night. So I'm looking forward to this one. I don't know which way it's going to swing. Western Bulldogs in good form, but as we know, they can sometimes have a good win and then fade away the next week. So I'm interested to see if the Western Bulldogs will be consistent in this game, but... Gold Coast Suns look really solid, set up behind the ball. They look like they're playing a great brand of team footy, scoring as well. I'm very excited about this clash, gents. I love Thursday night football. I'll be tipping the Bulldogs in this one, but I'm hoping that the Gold Coast can perform well on the big stage because I still want my Q clash on a Thursday or Friday night. So I'm hoping the Gold Coast perform well. Make it happen. This is their stage, guys. I I agree, sir. This actually, in in a weird sort of a way, could be as good as any other match this week. Hugh Greenwood, Bailey Smith. Gee, there are some great mullets in this game, gentlemen. It's going to be a very easy game to watch. <laughs> yep, definitely. And I hope the uh, I hope the standard of football is very much the same. And I hope to see halftime oranges in this game as well. <laughs> Surely. We want it by the end of the year, don't we? I'm very, very excited about this round of footy. 
Thank you so, so much, Fryzy and Maxi, for joining me this week. It's been an absolute joy as always, gents. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Pleasure again. Good on you. Like our Facebook page as well. It's been an absolute joy and a privilege to have your company again on In The Ballpark. We'll see you next week. Enjoy all the round eight action. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. But through the week, there has been a lot of uh, interest in the Gold Suns and the Gold Suns.